You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, I am Benny Goodman, and welcome to 2020, a brand new podcast with me, my lovely cohorts in crime. You've seen it here. They're just as guilty. Give it up for Siobhan Cronin, somewhere on a box (laughs) near you. And then my good friend, my compatriot, whiskey drinker, not fellow whiskey drinker. I don't have a liver for it. Corey Paisley! <laughs> Paisa! Paisley? Yeah, Paisa? Okay. We'll get it right in the next episode. I just fucked with 2020, dude, and they don't even know what it means yet. <laughs> so what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? Well, let's tell them how this happened. It's almost like this is slightly contrived, but we had to think about it because it's like, how do you explain how fucking crazy I am? How nice Siobhan is and how just level, even-tempoed you are Corey, without giving them the background of how this fucking happened, which is like this. Remember the day you walked outside and it turned into a science fiction film and it's like, don't go out. You must quarantine yourself. Even though you had plans, you had places to be, you had things to fucking do, people to call, you know, a job to go to, maybe a tour. Yeah, some of us were, you know, halfway across the world, I think. (laughs) Yep. Somewhere in Russia. Somewhere and yeah. like, I think that's like a James Bond movie, isn't it? Probably something it's like, like a that. James Bond movie. But stop 2020ing my train of thought. Are you folks <laughs> getting what we're doing here? So you walk outside, you think everything's fine, and then everybody is getting sick, and they're telling you stay home. So what do you do? How did you get 2020? So for me, Siobhan and Corey here, we are in a band, Lost Symphony, which is also our. Um, our sponsor, since so far, Snapple, which is the greatest stuff on earth, <laughs> is the best stuff on earth. And actually, if you open up the top, it tells you things. Um, Snapple, who doesn't support us, unlike Lost Symphony. Um, we are a band, and we were told, hey, bands aren't doing a whole lot of shit right now. Write an album. We already have the album. So we're like, well, what do we do? And our label's like, well, uh, Betty's loud. Why, why don't you have him just do a fucking podcast. I'm like, I can't do a podcast by myself. I can't even get dressed by myself. Uh, so that, uh, hence calling Siobhan, who's like a million times exponentially smarter than me, and Corey, who's at least 800,000 times exponentially smarter than me, <laughs> to offset the craziness so that we can hopefully get the message of positivity, maybe how to navigate um, this crazy universe with the COVIDs out there and the particles and the things. And somehow, maybe... Um, get closer and get to know each other and get below the water, as I used to say in all of my corporate meetings before my brain got completely destroyed. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a way to stay social. Socially relevant, right? 
while being socially yes. distanced? Is that your saying? It is my saying, although technically we haven't said it yet because this is our first episode. But yes, I want to be socially relevant while being socially distant. I don't even know if I was ever socially relevant. I don't know if this will be socially relevant. I guess it's up to the listeners. But that said, I'm Benny Goodman. I'm a musician. I'm in Speakeasy Studios right now. If you look behind me, like this is this is what I fucking do all the time. I'm a wedding DJ as well. So you can obviously um, think about how fucking awesome this season has been in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and I have uh, looked to Corey and Siobhan because other than my cats, my girlfriend and her daughter, I don't know what living beings other than like the, the groundhog that keeps eating all my grass seed um, look like. Yeah, man. I mean, Corey, all... you want to go next? Yeah. Introduce yourself. <laughs> it's so good. Follow that up. Yes. So, <laughs> no, Snapple yes, is I, so good. It's the best it, stuff. It is great. Sponsor no, I, I think that just, just like Ben, um, full-time musician and uh, studio engineer used to playing out multiple times a week and this year like everyone else I've been relegated to a dark studio where you know I feel it looks quite really light, light over there it's a, yeah. actually very light it's yeah. almost like you have like a light kit or something there's, there's a little <laughs> bit of a uh, artificial enhancement artificial. going on but when I'm working and you know composing and doing all that stuff I am like a hermit but uh yeah so it's we came up with this idea to put ourselves out there as performers in a different way and hopefully entertain people in a new way and in the process are you bored yet Siobhan no I'm, I'm just letting Corey talk I'll get to my introduction I, I didn't know I'm just <laughs> curious because I started just drifting off into nowhere land oh good <laughs> sorry whenever Corey. you're not talking that's what happens right. what <laughs> it said that happens whenever you're not talking what yes <laughs> Siobhan's the one with the real interesting story. No, not really. No. So for anyone that doesn't know me, I'm a classical violinist by training, but mostly a rock violinist in practice. Did you tell uh, him you're a fucking rock star in the band star set and that you have two I, billion fucking streams on Forbes? Holy fucking Christ. And that well, I was about to get there. Begging in the fucking streets for people to listen to our demo while you're selling <laughs> VIP packages for more money than I make in a day. Well, anyway, like Benny said, I play in a, a band called Starset. But how I met Ben was actually through playing a festival with Starset when next door All That Remains was in their dressing room and Ollie Herbert came up and introduced himself to me. So by a weird series of serendipitous events, I met Ollie and then met Ben and then became involved in the Lost Symphony Project. And we've been friends ever since, you know, worked on a few albums together. Can we and explain that story really quickly? I'm going to do the Ollie yeah. voice, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Siobhan is in the other room playing Vivaldi, getting warmed up to be on stage because Siobhan's actually highbrow, plays in a big band and actually can play Vivaldi. For all those that don't know who Vivaldi is, Google that shit and be like, oh, that's really impressive. Not Angel. Not, Not Angel, Angel Vivaldi. Vivaldi. We'll Vivaldi talk, like we'll the talk about him soon because we love Angel. <laughs> uh, yes, so, and he walks in and this, you have to know, if you knew Ollie, he had a very monotone voice. He's like, are, are you playing Winter? which is a piece by Vivaldi and, and, and Siobhan's ears pricked up, of course, like, how, how would you know that? Like, and you have to understand Ollie's six foot four was six foot four, um, had a big beard, looked like a warlock, long hair, always black is the new black is the new black on black, black, black. So, so like when he walked around, I mean, he also used to speak with like, you know, Spider-Man hands. So he looked like a <laughs> warlock when he spoke and played on stage and would do things. So it'd be like, that guy coming up to you and being like, wait a minute, is that Vivaldi? <laughs> and then 
it turned out that it was Vivaldi and he was like immediately smitten with your playing. He actually called me from the backstage area because we were doing the band Lost Symphony, which if you listen to, it's a instrumental kind of, some people use the term shred. I don't know if I'd say shred, but like very bombastic Cinematic or cinematic. Sprinkled with shred, but there's- Sprinkled with some shred. Sprinkled. Um, You know, and we had always talked about doing an orchestra. In fact, my brother, Brian, and myself had programmed an orchestra because, well, who the fuck plays strings? And Ollie called me, like, you know, uh, that guy in Back to the Future calling like his cousin Marvin. Hey, you know that new music you're looking for? Well, listen to this. Well, I found you a fucking violinist and she's pretty and she's smart and she plays fucking Vivaldi. And I'm like, really? And then like, I, I'm literally backstage at a wedding that I'm doing like in between the, the cocktail hour or whatever. And I'm calling her and she's like, yeah, I'll fly across the country and we'll just we'll record at your studio. And literally the first time we met, like it could have been a total joke. She like, you know, it was like I picked her up at the airport. She had no idea who the fuck I was. She's like, cool, where am I sleeping? And I'm like, wow, you were so adorable. Well, it's yeah. good you met me in my 20s. I just rolled with the punches then. I'm a little more skeptical now. <laughs> As you should be. Your kidneys would go for a lot on eBay. I would. But it's so funny because I feel like I live a double life sometimes because when I'm in like the classical world, because I'm pretty so evenly split, you know, half the year I'm playing a lot of classical music and then the other half of the year I'm doing a lot of rock touring. And, you know, it is funny when I'm backstage. And first of all, I'm often one of the only girls that you see, especially if you're at a festival you know, because most of the rock bands are dudes. And so our band has another female cellist, but you know, most of the time I'm kind of sequestered in my own area, just practicing. So I never expect one to see any girls. Uh, I didn't see a girl until I was 14. I only listened to Iron (laughs) Maiden and Metallica and all it was was a sea of black shirts and a bunch of dudes just going. And like every once in a while you would see what you thought was a dude and turn around just like a chick with a (laughs) mullet. That was like really, you know, like rocking the Def Leppard shirt circa 1987. But other than that, I didn't know what a woman looked like for a long time. Other no, but it was, mom, I mean, aside from that, it was totally unexpected for anyone to ever just like walk into our dressing room. And so when Ollie walked in, I was like, maybe I hope there are more people like this in the rock world because it was cool. I was like, oh, somebody that likes classical music and recognizes that. So it was, it was amazing that that happened. Yeah. And all the connections that have happened since that like kind oh, of yeah. started that really, that introduction led to everything that's kind of happened since with Lost Symphony. Um, just think of all the people that we've met through Ollie. Uh, and, yeah, and through unbelievable. You. Yeah, it's like six degrees to Kevin Bacon. Seven degrees to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> could be a lot Kevin. of degrees. Yeah, <laughs> to Ollie, though, because yes. Ollie knew yeah. everybody. And the yep. thing is that Ollie was, and for people that don't know Ollie, Ollie was a absolutely phenomenal level guitarist, but like really, he was a composer. He understood music. He was a music theorist. Like he actually had videos. He, he was a teacher actually before even anything else and a performer. And um, he really um, just had a very focused head on his shoulders for a band that you may write off as just being like a heavy band. Like a lot of people have these stereotypes of bands, which is another thing we want to do in the show where we want to interview people from all walks of life, whether it's, uh, you know, in the entertainment industry, whether it's, you know, you're a musician in a death metal band, whether you're a producer, whether you're, whether you're a marketing person, um, you know, we, we have a, a bunch of really great people on the docket. And the whole point is, is that you can never judge a book by its cover because some of the most um, intelligent or, um, you know, learned or cultured people, you know, come in the strangest formats, certainly the strangest bands. And we want to just expose that here because um, I don't think people always see behind the curtain, if you will, 
um, of what the entertainment industry is like, um, you know, in, as Siobhan says, in gen pop. <laughs> <laughs> guys, Google that. It means general population. <laughs> that means you guys, not her, because she's backstage and cool. <laughs> no, but but speaking of, you know, especially the current times, we're all in quarantine. A lot of us are doing things that are virtual. Lost Symphony was kind of like the original quarantine project in a lot of ways, yeah. even though it started so long ago because it features people that are from all over the world, all different walks of life. You know, we've all come in at different points. Yeah, interesting you know, thing. The core band itself has never actually been in the same room. Yeah, never. recorded from different <laughs> locations. So it's, you know, it's pretty interesting. So I feel like, yeah, doing this felt pretty natural for us to just, you know, continue talking virtually because... We've been doing other, this for so long. Here's the other thing that's ironic. So we're hoping, guys, with your help of going to lostsymphony.com, hopefully liking the music, hopefully telling your friends, and hopefully spreading it like a disease. You know, it's not a metaphor. It really happened. Um, uh, that maybe we could sell some records. But we got 2020 <laughs> into doing this shit to sell you records because we can't even fucking tour. And the thing is, it's an instrumental band. So how the fuck would you know that I'm this obnoxious without having to watch this? And the thing is, it's only funny if you get to see me be obnoxious to other people. Because that <laughs> is funny. Because there's, if there's anything we can all agree about, other people's misery sometimes can be amusing, especially when you're miserable yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Trying to keep it positive as always. <laughs> yeah. No, but so we're going to use this, this platform to kind of talk to some of our friends in the, uh, in the business. And like who, Corey? See- like who? Like who? I don't know. Like who? Who, who, do we, who do we have coming up? We've got uh, a lot of the guests that were on Lost Symphony, which is cool. Um, like we, who? Like, well, I'm getting to that then. Well, no, she <laughs> likes owls. I don't know if people know, but Siobhan <laughs> likes owls. Total so left field. Yeah. I just wanted to say who a bunch. Yeah, so <laughs> All right. we need like an off the rails button for this show. <laughs> It'll be uh, incredibly overused. No, who do we got coming up? We have uh, Richard Shaw of Cradle of Filth, who uh, contributed to the, the chapter one uh record that he's a thinker dude he, he's he's a great dude that's so can we come, just say this right from the beginning shortly. for the for the people that are gonna watch that episode which i hope get, get the fuck on it but richard so even from my perspective like you see a band like cradle of filth um you know i think of like you know upside down burning crosses and people with face paint on like looking like they're going to a satanic ritual and then you talk to this guy and he's so cultured you know, it's Andrew Lloyd Webber and Stephen Sondheim, and he's a million times better at music theory than me. And he, he's so eloquent. And you just, you go, I never would have made that. And I think that that's part of the show. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk to a lot of people that uh, you'll get to see like what it's like. Shut the hell up, Ben. Um, <laughs> you get to see what it's like to be a professional uh, entertainer, professional artist, professional producer. I'm talking to some TV personalities at some point that people might know um and i think that you're going to see parallels amongst all successful people and the way they mm-hmm. approach uh life and career decisions in their that's well that's what's amazing about podcasting or even just social media even though it's got a lot of negatives of course but i mean all of us as artists are so multi-dimensional whether you're in tv or in music or you know any sort of creative field we do so many different things but there actually are a lot of similarities between what what we all envision and what we believe, you know? Yeah, there's, and there's a million paths to success and whatever that means to you. But there's a lot of parallels uh, in terms of attitude that I think we see amongst almost everyone 
uh, unless you just fall into a great gig and you're just like, oh, cool, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and it's cool because some people might get a certain impression from listening to music. Like, it's so funny when I meet people playing at star set shows or whatever, and, you know, they might see a photo of me or someone else or videos or listen to the music and imagine that you're a certain way and, you know, imagine that you've been on a certain path. And then you talk to them like, oh, you're so different from what I thought. And I think it's so cool to be able to open up that platform here, you know, so people can, like you said, get behind the curtain and see what goes on in the mind of these people making the stuff you listen to. So, okay, for all the people that are as ADD as me, you want to know who's <laughs> going to be on here? Well, one of the first things that I'm very excited to announce is we got David Aberziz. Now, I know you may not remember the name because you may not be as old as me. And believe me, I'm old. I'm fucking old. And he's from a band called Pearl Jam. Now, the thing is with Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam's had five drummers. And there was only one period in my mind that kind of mattered. And I call that the David period, the David Abruzzese period. And he's kind of disappeared. If you go on Wikipedia since 1994, there's nothing. We got him to talk about all of it. Everything from what Axl Rose is like to what Eddie Vedder was like to how the fuck does it feel to be the number one band in the world setting records with your first recorded record with the band where people are waiting outside, you're making $72 a minute as a band. That's the kind of thing I want to know about. So we got David from his remote location on top of which we 2020 this guy because he's so beyond our, our pay grade, but <laughs> Dan Beck, yeah, Siobhan, do you want to, do you want to explain what it's like to talk to a guy like Dan Beck to the Dan Beck listeners. is like we all say the Oracle. He just has story <laughs> upon story of interactions with some of the most famous people from Michael Jackson to uh, who else? Cindy Lauper. He's like uh, the yeah. Forrest, he's like the Forrest Gump of the music industry. Like every, uh, every time you tell a story about something, it's like, oh, he was there and he probably yeah. caused well, that to witness some of the greatest moments yeah. in music history. <laughs> we talk about it on the show, but I'll give you a perfect example. Like we, I called him. I sent him a meme because, you know, that's how we speak in 2020. Like, we speak in memes. That's my well, political. Yeah. Um, so I sent him a meme that said, even if you don't like the Eagles, we can all agree that Joe Walsh is awesome. <laughs> and then he immediately starts going into this diatribe about how Joe Walsh just poured a pitcher of water into a TV that was on and then proceeded to have people just disassemble the hotel room. And I'm like, that. Yeah, so normally, tuned, if that was anyone else, that episode. <laughs> if, if it was anyone else, he'd be like, Shut the fuck up. That's bullshit. <laughs> but Dan Beck, that, that, that's what he wakes up to every day. Joe Walsh is pouring a fucking pitcher of water into a television. But you stick around. I mean, because the thing is, I don't know about you, but one day I want to be as successful as Siobhan. So then I don't have to worry about doing this shit. I don't have to talk to any of you. You think so I, I don't have to worry about doing this shit? You think we make money playing music? <laughs> <laughs> you don't? Well, of course. I mean, we do, but it's a, it's a totally different. Even some of the people that we talked to come, came from a slightly different era. Think about David or even Dan and some of his experiences. They came from a totally different era of rock and roll where that crazy shit happened too. So you music's know, been devalued. Well, it's been, and I wouldn't necessarily say it's been devalued, but it's become a lot more accessible. Now you can go on YouTube, you can watch stuff for free. There, It's streams and spins instead of buying albums. So the industry has changed a lot in a short period of time. But even in terms of the, you know, we were saying, you know, funny stories of people you know like dan interacting with rock stars totally different era you know stuff could happen that can't happen well, I mean, anymore it's a different social media we'll facebook it. all this yeah. stuff you would not see michael jackson playing tag with emmanuel lewis at the super bowl now that's yeah. a story that dan told I, you'll have to listen for it 
But like that seems like a world that just seems intangible to me because the world that I know is I put on a mask. I go outside to the grocery store. I'm scared of the outside world, which actually I've been all of my life. I don't like the, I don't like any people or interactions or saying hello or it's, it's just a lot of peopling for me, but it's just, you hear from this different world, but then we have people like Jason Leckberg, who's, uh, you know, a, a marketing guy. Now you may not have heard his name, but I guarantee you've heard a lot of the bands he's worked with. And the thing is for me is in a world where you can't be, a band that makes just gajillions of dollars because you got a, a number one single. It doesn't work like that anymore. Like Post Malone and Kanye and, and the, those are, Ed Sheeran are very, very, very isolated incidents um, in the music industry. It's very, it's it's like the 1%, if you will. And it's not even 1%. It's like the point oh 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 one percent How do you make money? What does that look like? And, you know, I will just quote one thing that Jason said is that any millionaire that he knows has seven forms of income. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And even if you are a rock star, you know, you look at, you watch a show like Shark Tank or something like, these guys have a million fucking businesses. You know what I mean? Like David Geffen made $500 million in the music industry with Nirvana and he made $2 billion selling art. So I think it comes you know? down to like adaptability. Uh, and that's something that, that is a reason we're doing a show like this is we're trying to adapt to a different climate where we can't operate as a band like we're used to speaking of which my air conditioning is cold i'm gonna go shut it off you guys <laughs> that's a talk amongst yourselves story <laughs> um and once again a lot of people we talk to a theme amongst them is that they uh you kind of roll with the punches and are able to take opportunities and run with them uh which is like, i think a super important attitude to have if you're trying to do something in the creative field because it's not like a corporate job where you're going to climb a ladder uh you might have to take a left turn or take a right turn or hop back a little bit you know sure yeah well and of course even with music if you are successful there's so many layers of people that are taking cuts off the top so even some people might look and perceive a band you know that's making a lot of money or getting a lot of streams but then of course there's the label there's the management there's, well, there's all a, sorts lot, of other- a lot of fat cats getting paid to do very little yeah. Yeah. And that's a, one thing that maybe a lot of people don't realize. So yeah, you have to, you have to be willing to go through the hustle and do other yeah. things on the side. And that, yeah, that's what we Sometimes learned from the Sometimes the fat cats are doing a lot though. I mean, oh, of course. There's, there's, there's a reason, you know, that some bands you know, from are my, to- From my experience, the fat cats usually just sit in your lap and then fucking ask for food, but in their own way. <laughs> and then passive aggressively keep opening your studio door. So you're like, why do I keep hearing things? And it's like, oh yeah, that's my fucking cat. And now- should we introduce Lucille? That's Lucille. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, she doesn't care that I'm, I'm on air. I mean, everybody else that's in my quarantine and my little <laughs> hoarding uh, uh, immunity here, if you will, uh, <laughs> they don't do that. But cats, like, let me just tell you, cats are the ultimate 2020 spirit animals. Because, like, I... I Paul Lorenzo, who is the drummer. It's not Lorenzo. It's not Lorenco. So, you know, if you're reading in the middle of, of, of Lost Symphony. But he has um, a sphinxy cat that he rescued, mind you. Oh, rescued my gosh, cat, yes. A sphinx cat. And What's the cat's name? I always Blizzard, see him on it. Blizzard. Blizzard. See him on Instagram. And, and like, if you see Blizzard, I'm just going to do it on my desk right now. All right? Like, he'll, he'll, he'll. Oh, I can't. I can't. <laughs> you, just, you just saw my balls for no reason. But yeah. um, so basically, he sits there and he'll take anything systematically on his kitchen table and just slowly just push it off. And like, the thing is, you have to understand about Paul, Paul never wanted 
a cat by himself because he doesn't want to ever say bye to an animal because he gets too attached and like he's he's like one of those guys. So he would feed the stray animals, but then they wouldn't let him pet them. So one day his friends were nice enough to get him a sphinx cat because he wants a sphinx cat. But the problem is he wants to adopt and sphinx cats are like genetic abominations that people spend tons of money on that like bulldogs, like they have all kinds of weird things about them because we they're like from the island of Dr. Moreau. But this cat was like locked in a room just being forced to breed with other cats with no interaction. So it's super personable and has to constantly be attached to Paul. And Paul d likes his personal space. So he'll like pet a cat, but this cat has to hold him. So he's annoyed that this animal loves him, follows him around, is completely devoted. Yeah, because he was like, expecting a cat that does yeah. none of those things normally. Yeah, he's expecting a, a cat to be, to be like Lucille, who doesn't give a flying fuck. But instead, the cat literally follows him around, talks to him, and then when he's so not he got sitting, a dog in the body of a cat. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> and it's because like man made it to be like that. Wow, fucking crazy! It's a, he called me one day and he goes, "It I think Blizzard only has a thumb on one of its on one of his paws." <laughs> I don't think cats have thumbs. They do. Well, apparently, this one does. Cats like, have thumbs. Not opposable. No, they do. No, they don't have opposable thumbs. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, anyway, so why don't we change gears? Why don't we talk about some of the things that we're doing in quarantine? Right down here. The thumb. Besides Ben just playing with his cat. And <laughs> yeah. Smoking. What are you doing in quarantine? So I'm going to start off by saying that when we first started quarantine and now because, you know, we have a few episodes in the can, wink. Um, we've been doing this for a while. Um, and when this whole thing started and everyone really was on quarantine because we're like Americans and we... We, we do things like 70% and then we're just like, fuck it. And then we just reset everything back, which is why we're still all fucking going out of our Lockdown, minds. Lockdown, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but when people were first doing that, they were all watching like Ozark and Strange, uh, Stranger, whatever it is, Stranger t Things. T Tiger King. Tiger King or whatever. And, and what we wanted to in really instill upon people were useful things because I don't know how many times I've said this, and a lot of people say this, and I say, don't be a hypocrite to this concept. Oh, man, if there are only more hours of the day, I would do insert anything that you're passionate about. And instead, I'm watching people say, like, I watched The Sopranos for the seventh time in a row. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like, Siobhan, what are you doing uh, to make your brain better during this time? Are you watching The Sopranos again? No, I mean, I will admit really that good. I'm, I'm watching some Netflix, but I do limit it to, like, after 11 p.m., so like depending on when I start my day, I will not let myself get on the couch or like get in front of a like entertainment screen, let's say before. There's nothing like, wrong with watching some no. fucking television. No, it's no just of course not. That are fucking attached to it. Like it's literally an umbilical cord feeding them their thoughts. No, but for my sanity, like inertia is my biggest thing to overcome. So if I sit down, it's like going to be really hard to get me up. So I just need to like start the day with stuff. So I always start, you know, I exercise every day. So that gets me going. And then I have a whole list of different projects. Like, yeah, like you said, stuff that, I would say, oh, I wish I could do this, but I'm too busy on tour. I'm playing an orchestra concert. So like learning a bunch of guitar solos on violin, like doing transcriptions, writing projects. We worked on some Lost Symphony stuff for chapter two, further albums, um, lots of different production things. October 16th, lostsymphony.com. Yeah. October 16th, chapter two, featuring Marty Friedman, featuring Jeff Loomis from Nevermore, featuring Ollie Herbert, the holy Ollie Herbert, some of his last works ever. Obviously, Siobhan Cronin, who not only played in Star Set, you've played with Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Andre Bocelli. By the way, did, 
Did he, does he know how beautiful you are? Is that a joke? Andrea Bocelli? <laughs> What's the fuck? <laughs> I thought Ben froze for a second. No, I didn't, I, know just... if, I didn't know if that was a blind joke because it was. It, it was. Oh. It was. It was. Uh, I'm going to hit the off the rails button again. <laughs> it was. <laughs> That's why I just kept staring at you until you just kind of and like. Then I was like, like what Conan should I say? If you watch Conan O'Brien, like I love. The, that's what I love about him. He's so ballsy. He's like, oh, the audience doesn't get a, get the joke. I'm just going to stand here and stare at you until you start laughing. Oh, my God. That's gosh. kind of my. It doesn't it doesn't work. Usually it's very <laughs> uncomfortable. I'll be in the supermarket and people are like, what? What happened to him? <laughs> but whatever. Well, if it's in real life, it's less about? awkward. When you're on the internet, you never know if somebody froze Yvonne, and they that's lost their not, internet That's connection. not true. <laughs> it is actually more awkward in real life. But that's what I like about it. I love, yeah, I love I making people uncomfortable. Yeah. That's well, why they we, don't go near me. It's, it's great. <laughs> it is. It really is. Thanks, oh, Corey, for noticing. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so where the hell were we? We were talking about, talking about uh, what we're doing in quarantine, yeah. different projects. Ways yeah, what are you positive. doing, Corey? You seem busy. Well, you look yeah. gaunt. Are you eating? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I eat in like like short. I binge and then I don't eat for like a day or so. It's like I I, I have to look at my calendar. Like, okay, I ate Tuesday. Oh so my I god! I don't know. I'm it's the same not, way. It's not that bad, but uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, we've been fortunate because of the way we work and the fact that we can work remotely. That uh, me especially, I've been just as busy, if not more busy since everything happened. Um, so I find myself working, you know, 12, 14 hour days. Mm -hmm. So I've actually been like, I, as hard as I go at work, I'll, I'll do this. I'll switch over to Netflix at say like 11 or 12 midnight. And then I'll just crush, you know, <laughs> a few, I was like, I have to like crush. You're like as episodes. intense about I'm your like, Netflix yeah, like, watching. Right, I need to relax hard now because I don't <laughs> like relaxing. And, and we've all talked about this, but uh, like it's, it, and it, it is a weird feeling when you have momentum and you're working and then you sit down and you're like, all right, no, I need to take a break. And you yeah. sit and the first thing your brain does is go, but you could be doing that other thing that still has to get done. And then, well, if you watch like, any, if you watch anything about anybody successful, like I just watched the David Foster documentary, it, like nothing, everything successful just leads to more anxiety. <laughs> and then it leads to more self-doubt. Like the whole thing starts off. Like I've been, I've done, I sold a half a billion records, but I hope I can do Broadway. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, like what you can't just, it's not enough for you. And that's the thing is people don't realize that the greatest musicians, the greatest producers, the greatest entertainers are, are, are rooted in self doubt. There's a very thin line between perfectionism, narcissism and total utmost insecurity. You know what I mean? And, and, and I can absolutely believe that. where yeah. those meet is what sort of breeds for like that crazy creativity because that's also why like you hear a lot of these documentaries well he was a terrible person at the time but like yeah made some great music like if you listen to Fleetwood Mac and you listen to like that their their love triangles triumph I mean fucking octagons where the goddamn fuck you want to call that shit you're like oh well, that makes sense that the chain came out and that song was really good. And it seems like Lindsey Buckingham had to sing that one. And there was a lot of angst in that bass solo. Like, yeah. Uh, and so when you guys, like, especially, you know, Siobhan, I know that you've, you've probably dealt with this on a macro scale, but I, I know that just Ben and I, when we get really busy with Lost Symphony and we're, we're cranking out, you know, at the same time that we're producing and recording music we're also working on video content mm -hmm. and, and you know as as this project has grown the team has gotten bigger there's more people involved and i get this intense 
like boost of motivation, but it's like, uh, you know, the lion is nipping at your heels type of motivation. So it's like it, 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 the stress goes up with the amount of work, but at the same time, it's more rewarding because you see stuff getting done. Yeah. So it is like, it's a weird feeling of like, I, you know, you talk to people that are working at a really, really high level. Like imagine running a multi-billion dollar company. I go like the thought of that would be simultaneously like euphoric for like the accomplishment and also fucking horrifying <laughs> thinking of like how much, pressure that is to maintain do you have to be like a sociopath to operate at that level <laughs> well yeah. one of the funniest things i remember is like one of my good friends um a friend of all of us actually paul geary who um was a drummer in extreme but also um manages people like joe perry and johnny depp and has just worked with some of the greatest people in the industry um i, ca I cold called this dude before we were friends like years and years ago and, and paul if you, anyone knows paul paul will take almost anyone's call and he's going to be so fucking annoyed that I said that like don't call me I have we can no, post his number up. yeah we'll post his number right at the bottom but like Paul's very 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 kind and if someone um, takes the time and says hey man would you would you just give me your, your a little bit of your time and let me pick your brain and blah blah blah, blah. and he, I remember him telling me like over a decade ago Ben here's the problem it's going to cost you at least a hundred thousand dollars to prove the concept to market properly a single. Then, heaven forbid, it actually does well. You need another million dollars or some crazy number. It'll probably say, it was only 250,000, Ben. Some crazy amount to sustain that with the marketing yeah, we, we necessary set to that do that. should actually precedent really quick. Whatever Ben says, bring it down about 25, 30%. <laughs> it's probably closer to the what actually I'm not. I'm just making yeah. up shit because I'm fucking hallucinating. I'm, I literally took a giant but yes, dose continue. of fucking Sorry, I just want to set but the point. But the point is, is that like a lot of people have the misconception. Like, let me just dispel something. If you're playing music because you want to get laid, because you want to make money, you want to be famous, you're a fucking moron. Because you should become a plumber. You should become an electrician. You should you should go to that vocational school, skip out on college, don't get the student loans, and learn a goddamn skill. Be good at it. Make a lot of money. Because guess what? When my pipes burst. I will pay a motherfucker whatever they fucking ask me because my shit is exploding. Literally. That said, nobody gives a fuck if I can play Franz Liszt on the piano. Literally, they're more interested if I can play Earth, Wind, and Fire on this yeah. deck. And Michael Jackson, they're like, holy shit. Who would have thought of putting Michael Jackson with Earth, Wind, and Fire? Like, we're meanwhile, I've taken these 10 fingers and learned people talk about four-way coordination with drums 10-way coordination motherfucker <laughs> they don't care oh listen you you're these, preaching to the choir i mean have, that you have these people though that have these skills and there's no way for them to actually make money unless you make the little money teaching other hopeless people <laughs> to be hopeless and to right. beg their parents to feed them yeah, but I wanted to go back to, to Siobhan for the thing we were talking about before Ben went off the rails again. Um, I curb stomped it. I'm sorry. <laughs> 2020 did it. I 2020 um, did. I have I you felt the, uh, that kind of uh, dual pressure versus like euphoric feeling of success like as you get these gigs and, and how does that kind of work in your mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think just as a general principle, I... I always think that I'm happier and feeling better when I am kind of stressed out and I do have a lot of things that I have to do because it does force me to produce faster. And when I have too much time and not enough guidance or not enough like 
you know, specific goals that I've lined up for myself, then it's so much harder for me to get anywhere. And I start to get overwhelmed and depressed. So it, yeah, it, you, you kind of have to fall into that weird personality type that I think all of us kind of are, which is like, we do kind of seize that stress and that pressure because that's what, what makes us produce and makes us create and it gets us on, you know, that momentum. So yeah, it's, it's a weird um, thing to, to synthesize in your brain because you picture success as sitting on a beach, you know, in, you know, in front of your mansion, you know, and yeah. drinking a, a Mai Tai. But now then you realize everything that you've done that has made you more successful just led to more fucking work and yeah. more <laughs> No, this, this reminds me, you know, speaking of, of Dan Beck though, something he said the other day to all three of us that I thought was super interesting is he said, success is how you deal with problems. And that's so interesting because I always am curious about what people define success as. Well, and that's so the true. Higher because, the, cl- the higher the yeah. class, the problems. Like, dude, I fucking put Dom Perignon on the rider and they brought me this cheap ass fucking Louis Jadot. This is not even from the same region in fucking Italy. What Those the shoe fuck? companies? <laughs> In fact, they're basketball teams, Corey. <laughs> no, but it's true. The more success you get, I mean, the more the more pressure there is. And I even see being in Starset. I, you know, obviously I'm not the front man. I'm just the violinist and I'm part of the band. But, um, you know, Dustin, who has to deal with the pressures of being the front man and writing a lot of the music, I can only imagine because you start with something. May I interject? Back- yeah. For those that can't see, Dustin is so dreamy. <laughs> I love his hair. And just, and just for everyone else to know, I actually, I tried, I, I tried to be inspired by your band because I, I've done my hair much like Dustin because I think that he's just, because this is a very economic haircut that I can do myself. And like everything about him, it leads back to logic. There's a whole reason, like, why would you do this? Oh, because any fucking asshole can cut their own hair in the mirror and then just have their girlfriend shave the back of it. Boom, free yeah, well, when you're on so tour too, smart. especially for long periods of time, so you got to have a cut that they can all maintain for each other. But yeah, but what I was saying, I mean, it's, you know, I see somebody go through starting something that, you know, is their passion project, their idea, they want have this music in mind. And then as you get bigger and you get more attention, you have more people expecting stuff from you. Right. Every time you write a new album, you never know if you're going to please them or you're going to piss them off. No, and that's so, not just fans, but now you're growing a company and you have, uh, you know, a, a stage crew and a touring, yeah. basically you're, you're a touring business that mm-hmm. employs a lot of people. And you're responsible for well, not only you know, entertaining the crowds, but also keeping these people employed and happy. So now mm-hmm. you're worrying about all these different things with the creative and the business side. So yeah, I uh, I don't I, I I don't envy Dustin. But well, the I, good thing I about Lost Symphony is that we wrote all these songs kind of out of order, and they're all fucking boss. So like we don't have to worry about it because every album is going to be ridiculous. Well, the funny Especially thing is chapter real, real two is coming out. Symphony, we, were, we, just, we basically so just wrote, we just wrote like twenty something songs and then we're like, oh, we should probably start putting these on records. <laughs> yeah, so, it was definitely yeah. an unconventional process. Um, Although process. I will say a very unrealistic thing that did happen to us. You know, we were like, oh, what if we got Marty Friedman? But then we did. Yeah, I think that happened with every guest we got. But what if we got this guy? Nah, yeah, well, I mean, we got to thank Ollie for that, too, because Ollie kind of like yeah. popped our cherry because like for me, it's like, you know, hey, man, like Joe Satriani, will you play on my record? He's like, how did you get this number? You know what I mean? Like everyone picked up Ollie's call and Ollie also got to play on all these like I think, you know, he played like the rock cruise or whatever. Um, oh, uh, ship, ship, ship rock, ship rock yeah. with like my buddy Drew and all that, and met so many people. But like. First, one of the first guys was Bumblefoot to get in touch with us. And Ron is just an amazing guy. And one of the things I love about a guy like Bumblefoot is he literally, all he does is build up other people. 
All he does is encourage other people, even though he's like this space alien level guitar player. The first thing he did was write to Corey and I, we were actually in California together. Um, and he just wrote, I think this music is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And to hear that from somebody, you know, who played in a Guns N' Roses, which is one of my favorite bands, not that that's the Guns N' Roses I think of, um, certainly one of the sickest guitar players I've ever seen. The guy doesn't even need fucking frets. It's bananas. But then to have him even play on Singularity, the song on Chapter One, because Ollie just emailed the dude. He didn't even email him. He fucking called him. He's like, I'll, I'll just I'll just call Rod. That's fine. He'll, he'll do it. He's really nice. I don't, I don't know. But that's honestly stuff like that's That's what I appreciate about everyone in this project, especially you, Ben, is that you believe that anything is possible when it comes to things like that. And that often is the point where people meet the barrier to success is where they think, oh, I'll never get that person or this will never. I mean, I have to think about Dustin, too, because it's like at some point he had this idea that there's going to be a bunch of men in spacesuits with cryo shooting out of their backs and it's going to be outer space theme and he's going to have all these love songs and like all this. And somebody probably was just like, what the fuck? No one's going to ever watch that. <laughs> Yeah, but look how but many Scientologists there are now. Yeah, but you know what? The point is, like he, like someone like that, they don't let people get in their head and say no. You know, when you have yeah. that vision, a lot of times you got to just keep rolling with it. Well, you have to be. You have to. I always say this to people, and, and, and again, also a very fine line that you have to have a certain level of delusion to actually have the 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 piss and vinegar that's for the most part, unless it's just serendipitous and you're in the right place at the right time to make it happen. And it's it's one of those things where I, one of my favorite quotes, and honestly, I don't even know if it's from him, but someone told me it's attributed to, to Bono, but I, I love this quote, is somebody had asked him in an interview, did you ever think that you would be in the biggest band in the world? And he said, I always knew I was in the biggest band in the world. I just didn't know when the world was going to figure it out. And that is some cocky ass motherfucking shit. <laughs> but you go and see... You too, and ask David Abruzzese from Pearl Jam. He'll tell you what their show is like. That, dude, he's talking to the Pope. He's taking pictures at the fucking Grand Canyon with the goddamn president. He's like, I mean, how much, like, he literally is like a mystical figure. And his band, arguably, is the biggest band in the world. And I understand maybe Metallica or Ed Sheeran sets more, but like, you go to a U2 concert, and you might I think you choose the most accessible rock band that's ever existed. Yeah. Like if you, if you just, yeah. you're like, Oh, I like rock music. All right. What's your favorite band? Posters back uh, there. You too. I like you too. You know, it's, it's very, you know, straight. Like they've definitely found that path that was, yeah. you know, people that wouldn't like something like a rock show can, can still get behind them. But at the yeah. same time, they have so many classics that are you know, legitimately just like actual, like rock classics. Mm -hmm. that well, one of the things, that really, you gotta, you gotta give a band like U2, and I say this because actually that behind me is a U2 poster, but that came from the, the estate of Bill Graham. That's the original test printing for the Joshua Tree. That's mm -hmm. the one. So it's pretty cool. That's why I, I like it. I actually was, I still am a huge U2 fan because whether you love them or you hate them, when you go see them live, you go, there's a reason they're $500 a ticket <laughs> because they really are like, they put on a show. And they yeah. know how to put on a show, whether it's appearing on one side of the stage or not the other side of the stage or having the craziest amount of lights or just coming out with just an acoustic guitar. You guys remember and just, shows? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Those are nice. No. <laughs> I'm starting to forget at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm starting to forget what it's like to even play out. Like you used to play out. Like I don't think I played out with a band in like two years. I've just done weddings. Like I, I, that's, that's the best thing I've done. And ironically, people are much more thankful for it. And there's usually a way better crowd. <laughs> not for me i mean for you but for me 
Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. You guys seen the, uh, you guys. the 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 socially distant concerts they're putting on? I think over in like, I think it was the UK where they have I saw, like yeah. basically it's a bunch of little mini platforms where everyone's kind of huddled. It's like. Uh... Well, here's in the theory, other. Okay. In theory, good, but financially, I don't know that it's sustainable. I think that's the real question. I, I have yeah. to ask you guys yeah. this. So they're now doing the drive-in movie thing, which cool mm-hmm. drive-in movies. Stay in your fucking car. All right, I'm with it. Um, what Metallica, about the drive-through strip clubs? I saw well, something about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. But Metallica is now doing $120 a car to watch a pre-recorded, not like live simulcast, just a pre-recorded Metallica show. That you, by the way, if you go and see Metallica, there are like 197 full HD soundboard recording, like 87 camera fucking Metallica shows on there, and they're asking $120. So if you think if you have like six people in your car, like you have a fucking minivan, right? That's 20 fucking dollars a person during the pandemic to see a pre-recorded Metallica show where somebody fixes Lars's drums so that some drum, drum asshole doesn't go, what the fuck? I have not seen that, but that's crazy. $120 to see a so pre-recorded Are you saying, are you saying that's a good deal or a shitty deal? No! So okay. it's, it's at a drive-in? It's-, it's a Metallica concert event. And they're simulcasting. I don't know if it's S and M too. Maybe it's like one of the new ones that they haven't done yet or whatever. I don't even. I didn't pay attention because they lost me at one hundred twenty dollars yeah. for a pre-recorded show. But it's one hundred twenty dollars. They're gonna do a drive-in movie theater event, which they've done before. Things like this, which I've gone to, you know, for like fifteen dollars a ticket right, at a theater. A you know what I mean? Where they have the eighty thousand watts of sound because that's part of the reason you go to a theater. It has a fucking screen that's bigger than my fucking house, and I'm a sound guy. Hence the reason I yell, because I'm deaf. But I, I know what an 80,000-watt sound system sounds like, and I like feeling the bass from a U2 concert. I like feeling it. So when I'm going to pay $20 to see Metallica in a theater, I want it to sound like if I close my eyes, better than seeing them in person, because we all know that that's a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean... It- if you Go got ahead, the good Corey. sound in your car, I guess it could be nice. <laughs> Get some subs going. Yeah, man. Talk to my 23-year-old self working at Best Buy with my fucking two kickers in the back, dude. <laughs> my separates. First off, if you have like a fucking $3,000 non-stock car, like system in your car and it's worth more than your car, you're a fucking loser. Get your priorities straight. <laughs> Maybe those people just like music, man. I say that to my young self. (laughs) Yeah, it it is interesting, though, because I don't know that anyone's really figured out how to manage this, like having concerts virtually, because there there is something it's like you just literally can't get beyond the fact that the people just aren't there. Like if if the band is not there, somehow them just even if you can just see them and hear them as well, it's it people just aren't as into it. So this brings up a very metaphysical question. Do we die? And are we still here when we're gone? Are all the energy of the people that were in the Boston Garden or in Fenway when fucking the Dropkick Murphys broadcast themselves because they play every year um, and they did it from Fenway Park. Are what all the, the dead Fenway about? fans They're hanging dead. out like the fucking Sixth Sense? I'm talking the people that have died. Are they still amongst us? Are they enjoying us now? Are we playing for all the spirits of those that have passed? I have no idea. No? <laughs> Third set of rails no, we've destroyed my, in this. No, episode. I'm just saying my lights sometimes turn on and off by my by themselves, and I get scared at night, and I just didn't know how you guys felt about it. So that was kind of my roundabout way of asking, like, do you believe in ghosts? I don't 
No, I mean, no. sometimes I feel like there is some spiritual energy maybe, but I don't know. Oh, Corey's totally like, nah, dude. Corey's like, nah, I call bullshit no, on that. No, fuck that shit. Just so was, you know, like, I, I, I actually do. follow your, your train of thought from, like, <laughs> concerts to Fenway to Dead I, Yeah. <laughs> it always We're has to you go by GlaxoSmith and Klein, you know? You guys can support us, too. Actually, in fact, I support you a lot, GlaxoSmith and Klein. If you want to be a, uh, a supporter, we can either totally fucking shit on you or you know, endorse you. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> that should be our, our pitch to advertisers. Like you can either get a good review or we can shit on you. And all 12 people that watch this. And they're like, who angry. are you? If they even respond <laughs> like mom. Oh my God. But it's so funny to be talking about like making a living as a musician. When I feel like at least I speak for myself, I love extremely complicated music, like classical music. And I might spend a ton of time learning a piece to share it and have five people care. But then if I play like a cover of a pop song with like a sick beat, it's like thousands of people care. <laughs> so it's, it's just well, like, that's it's the, so that's funny. That's the realization of being a DJ. Want. Are you kidding me? Like all of my life I practiced on the piano to be good. Well, first off, just to find out you're better than me, which is upsetting, but, <laughs> but to basically just like, I gave a perfect example. So one of our, our future guests is Jason Costa, the drummer from all that remains, who's a fantastic drummer, but Jason Funny guy. has played first off on lost symphony. And secondly, he's seen me in all of my different iterations in my band because he supports local music. Thank you, Jason. But he's never like complimented me. Like, that was really great, Benny. Or like, fucking heck, like more than just like, good job. You know, like, but I good DJ'd shot. one of Good job, want a shot, you know? Yeah, yeah, good job. Here's 73 shots to destroy your liver. I hope you don't remember any of this. Um, and um, I remember going and we, I DJ'd our friend Adam's wedding and he fucking came up to me after I like DJed for a few hours. We had like a little metal section afterwards and I was just slamming it from Judas Priest to like the the, the climax of the Slayer song and to Dio. And he comes up to me and he's just like, Benny, you're really good at this. <laughs> and he like took like, oh no, 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 really dude. Like, like really, you're really good at this. And like he like uncomfortably long, like looked at me like, it was shit wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing is, it's like, that's what you remember me as. And then after he, he was the only person during 2020 that came and did an interview here, but he was socially distant. He was in another room. And after he left as, as we're like looking at each other from like a nice distance, he goes, Betty, people are going to listen to your songs, but this is how you're going to make your money. <laughs> I'm like, only I don't know how sponsors. To, I don't know how I take like that Sam though. Adams like beer. I know you played with Marty Friedman and Jeff Loomis and even me, and it's pretty good. <laughs> even you. But you should stick to this radio thing, podcast, and what, what do they call it now? The talkies, the vaudeville <laughs> thing. Like that. This is you're, you're gonna do fine. <laughs> Thanks, Podcasts Jason. are definitely. I mean, yeah, it's, it's that's amazing. a 2020 thing to say. You know what I mean? Like, hey, man, it's, it's like you know, like I say it a lot. Like I've been called the lower side of ideal. Like, how the fuck do you take that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, oh, hey, man, people are going to listen to your music. But really, your calling is just yelling at a computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the more advanced your musical taste gets, the smaller the audience eventually is. Because the more you know about music. Hashtag jazz. No, but that's really a thing. I mean, people that play jazz, classical music, even like, you know, a lot of intense metal music. It's like the more complicated it is, the harder it is to reach a wide audience. And that's just yeah. by nature of the fact that most people like simple things, you know? So podcasting is the future in a lot of ways. I mean, it's already in the present, but. 
I call it basic. People. It's people talking. I, I, I got to tell you, too, when people in, in another lifetime, when there were weddings, sent me what I call basic playlists, which is just like, you know, like the song, like the dumbest songs ever. But like, whatever, like they they, they work. I know this is going to be great because basic mean equals good. Because the worst thing is when you actually like DJ for a bunch of musical elitists and you're like, you play the temptation version of this. Why would he play the Beatles version of it? Like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? You know, like, and, and, and they sit there with their arms crossed. Like they're at a fucking show, like judging you. And you're like, dude, just have fun. Basic Welcome people, to classical music. Basic people are just Every like on nitrous time. oxide and they're just like hearing womp, 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 something about <laughs> Old Town Road and, and womp, womp in my horse, oh. womp, womp, womp. And then they're just smiling. They don't know where they are. Like ignorance is bliss, dude. Sometimes I think if I did have an aneurysm and I was like, eh, but I had a smile on my face, don't knock me out. I'm having the best time of my life. <laughs> my uh, consciousness is the thing I'm the most scared of. Yeah. Well, I think that, that's another thing that uh, – can kind of be um, extrapolated to everything else, but those are the people in the middle. The they don't know what basic. that means, Corey. Stop assuming. Yeah, I know, right? They're so, anyways, people way too much I, credit. Which even comes more to my point that there's, you know, extremes in every situation, and then there's down the middle. So the basic mm-hmm. playlist hits the middle, which is most people. You're gonna have people on one side folding their arms, and you're gonna have people on the other side that maybe are way too into the basic playlist. I don't know, but uh, like like anything else with with music. If you're playing something, you know, if you're if you're Nickelback or or you're you're a pop star, and you you get the most like intense hatred that you'll see for any artist for the, if you're at the top, uh, that's like the the three or four percent that are absolutely super loud and super annoying and doing that, and then you have everyone else that's buying the records and are you know making these people able to maintain these careers. Well, you know what's really funny is I love talking to John Garabedian, and he's a good friend. He's actually asked me when he can come on the show. For those that don't know, uh, even just a few years ago, was the open house party, which was in 200 uh, different fucking areas. Um, he played nothing but pop music. Um, John had everyone from Katy Perry to fucking the Bee Gees to Kiss to Christina Aguilera. Like, name anybody who's had a number one that they've been through his studio. And he's still doing music programming and all that. And it's so fascinating to hear him talk about um, what's still resonating. And people don't, like, people don't listen to the Beatles. Like, the, apparently the Beatles, even though people love, they, they sell so much music, people don't want them on the radio. People don't actually want to hear the Beatles. Post Malone, like, but, but like, well, don't the other day, it's different people. So, but hold on, but like, but in in the pop world, okay, but but still, like a band like Pearl Jam still tests um, when people play it. But in a pop world, okay, um, he was like the other day, Ciara one two step. I'm like, really? That's the one? Like, yeah, man, people love that. And, and as a DJ, I've discovered two songs that like never in my wildest dreams would I think would get elicit the responses that they do. And I actually said this to John the other day. He was like, really? And his DJ was like, oh yeah, no, he's not kidding. With Mr. Brightside by the Killers oh, yeah. and fucking Fountains of Wayne, Stacy's mom. Because yeah. I'll tell you as a DJ, I've, I've DJed all night and played ABBA to like Ricky Martin to fucking Michael Jackson, all the generic bullshit. And you totally straight laced crowds. And then you put on Mr. Brightside and people will be crowd surfing. Or they, you literally yeah. hear them just scream. And you're like, this is it. And if they like that, and you slam it into Stacy's mom from the gin, 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 where they completely rip off Rick Ocasek with, one you know, the, just 
one of the one of the guys I pl- I play with or used to play with a, l- a lot of the bars around Boston. Uh, that was our secret weapon. Like if the crowd, you know, you're, yeah. you're halfway Which through one the third, of those? Ha- halfway through the third set, and you know, people are starting to go get their drinks, and they're they're walking away from the dance floor. You start that opening riff to uh, Mr. Brightside. Oh yeah, and you will have which is deceptively everyone. hard. It's by the way, incredibly difficult. I, I I worked at that for weeks before I was able to do it shit faced in the third set. Wow. But- <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but so that catchy. absolutely crushes no matter what the crowd. Uh, and uh, if you're DJing a wedding and you have like a lame ass crowd, that, that'll be the one that will get people to get out of their seat. Yeah, they'll start singing every fucking. Uh, yeah. and, and here's the thing is, uh, this is the magic too the, of being a DJ. So like when you're in a band, people have to know your music to sing it and get really excited about it. So you yeah. go see Star Set, which is everybody that goes there know their music. So it's like if they stop playing, people actually sing. If I stop playing at a show, the sound guy turns me off because he thinks her set's <laughs> over. You know what I mean? Like, whereas if I'm DJing and like I'm doing like the killers and I just pull the fucking crossfader down or, or, or the volume down, you hear a whole fucking room singing as if you were at a U2 concert. Where the stairs are no name. And you're like, oh my God, this is the song. This is the song. And then of course I live with a 15 year old because my, my girlfriend has a, a daughter and it's like classic rock. It's like, of course I know that song. How would I not know that? Song? Like, I was listening to uh, the Three Days Grace or something. Oh no, it was Bodies. Uh, you know, with the bodies hit the floor. Oh and, my god! And she starts singing in the pool. I'm like, how do you know this song? She's like, oh, it's a classic. <laughs> classic. Classic for drowning pool. Classic rock. Drowning pools. Classic. <laughs> but but then you think about it. It's so simple. Look, I mean, they well, say yeah, the same thing. They say Beetlejuice, 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 like over and over and over. Yeah, think like those those. I guess they're one hit wonder or what I don't know any other drowning pool songs that have stuck around. Yeah, that me long. neither. But but yeah, like it's gotta be a weird feeling to write one of those. Um just Did like you know Mr. Like Brightside. 2020 him in, I know in, that's in, like, it's like people don't know any other killer songs. That's it. It's like go ahead, Ben. Sorry. Well no, I was gonna say I twenty twenty the guy from Drowning Pool in two thousand one because like I saw them play and then I shook his hand, I said really good set, and then like five days later he died. Oof. I told that to Haley. She gave me the exact same response <laughs> with her 14-year-old guy friend. She some reason thinks younger boys is cool. I don't get it. But I but but drowning pool. I was like, as we were in a pool, I was like, yeah, I, I th- he died right afterwards. It was just total science. And that's kind of how I felt about it too. I was like, thank you. I didn't know if it was like him dying to let me know of my powers, but that was that's very selfless act on his part. Uh well on that note, uh <laughs> Corey's like, I'm just gonna have to edit this out. We're gonna need so many rails. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to curb stomp that by literally just editing it out of this, of this whole thing. And then it's just, you're just gonna see me go. Instead of like freezing, you just seem like somehow just move to the other side of the screen because Corey's just taking out 18 minutes of complete bullshit. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Now we're actually we're coming up on the end of the hour of our of our first hour here. Oh man, is it over yet? Oh man, <laughs> just about. Yeah. Siobhan, can you do what you've always done for all the people that know you? Can you just give us a synopsis of everything that just happened so that we didn't have to pay attention? Yeah, very <laughs> clinical, entertaining just, yeah, synopsis. Just, just, yeah, just so those people who weren't listening, like me, you know, who's actually here, um, um, can know well, what we do. We, Corey and I tried to talk, and then Ben talked over us. <laughs> that's a synopsis. <laughs> that's, that's what you have to look forward to in all the uh, upcoming and episodes. And all the upcoming episodes. Lots but of arguments. Way more important people than Corey. I mean, Siobhan's <laughs> pretty important. But, like, I mean, like, I talk over uh, – that's the thing that's cool about me. So, you just, if yeah, you haven't figured it out, anyone. I'll talk over anybody. Yeah. Like, get me fucking – get me anybody on the show. 
I want, <laughs> I want David Foster to come on the show. I'll fucking talk a little, all over him. I, I can't wait till he tells me about the key change in Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. I'll be like, Kevin Costner knew better than me. <laughs> Watch the documentary, guys. You'll know what I'm talking about. Well, I, I, gotta, I have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. Are you uncomfortable yet? <laughs> Was that just like a literally uh, like a, a little ellipsis coming out of your mouth? No, I mean, you asked me to wrap it up. No, I mean, I think we, we set the stage for what's coming, you know, just getting to know us a little bit. And we've got a lot of cool people coming up soon and lots of talk about music, life, quarantine, do you, projects. Do you ever set the stage for Star Set or do you have people for that? No, there's people for that. Okay. You've been 2020, you guys. No, for real. I just want to say thank you to everybody out listening. We, the, really, the objective of what we're doing here is we, we want you guys to, to leave with a positive message despite my nihilistic behavior, um, knowing that you're not the only ones out there. There are, there are people out there, and um, we're here. We want to hear from you. Email us. If you fucking like this, share it to your friends. Spread the disease, if you will. The good one. <laughs> this one. I guess that's subjective. And, you know, ask us your questions, because we do have a lot of really cool people coming on. We have Jason Leckberg. We have Dan Beck. We have um, David Abruziz. We have Angel Vivaldi. We have Rusty Cooley. There's a whole list of misanthropes that are coming out here. I, I'm hearing from my um, sponsor. Don't call them that. Um, and uh, <laughs> Snapple. We still need sponsors. This is the greatest stuff. <laughs> Please send me a case. I live in Massachusetts. That said, you guys have been 2020. Go to 2020-d.com. Subscribe, and we'll see you soon. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.